it was uh, lost my train of thought. Added the set. What was I gonna say? I don't get it. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Fonda. And I'm Paul. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Powered by. <sighs> yeah. Uh, what's going on, Fonda? Oh, man, there is so much stuff. Um, it's 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 award season, yes. Paul. Um, so uh, the Sterling Award nominations have been announced. Mm-hmm. In fact, even, well, it's it's award season everywhere. The Tonys is actually tonight right. as we record this. As of recording. So by the time you hear this... <laughs> But the, be the Elizabeth Haynes Sterling's Awards mm-hmm. are um, Edmonton's Tony Awards, right? And uh, they honor the best in theater and uh, musical theater. Um, sadly, not as much in dance. Yeah. So maybe we'll have our own awards for that at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So about the Sterling Awards, Paul, did you? Uh, what were some observations that you had? Sure. I think the the biggest one for me is that uh, it seemed like uh, some of the. It seemed the uh, uh, Sterlings of extremes in the sense of uh, really big uh, productions uh, got a lot of love and also very small productions got a lot of love. Uh, things like if we look at Outstanding Production, the sort of marquee award, uh, Métis Mutt is a one-man show, Pretty Goblins, uh, a two-person show. Uh, but then uh, we have The Humans at the Citadel, Shakespeare in Love at the Citadel, and The Silver Arrow at the Citadel. All sort of big, big, you know, four-plus or in the Silver Arrow's case, like a huge ensemble. Yeah. It really surprised me that the Silver Arrow landed in the Outstanding Play category because I would have classed it as a musical. Okay. Even though it wasn't, you know, sort of like as conventional formulaic musical as we as musicals often go. Um, yeah, the other... the um, what, what interests me a lot were the um, Outstanding Performance categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, the uh, performance by an actress or a female actor uh, in a leading role. There's only three plays represented in five nominees, uh, which I thought was great. Um, Patricia Darbacy and Belinda Cornish in going to Saint, both in going to Saint Ives, and uh, Nadine Chu and Miranda Allen in Pretty Goblins, along with Holly Turner in The Testament of Mary. Right. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, I missed going to Saint Ives this time around, but mm-hmm. I did see it years ago with the same cast. Um, it's a wonderful little play, but um, of course, I Pretty Goblins took my breath away. So mm-hmm. I really think that that one is a, a strong contender for a lot of the categories. Right, and it's pretty well represented uh, across across the nominations. Uh, but yeah, it seemed like a lot of a lot of big things, uh, a lot of small things. Um... Hades Town was uh, kind of like an interesting thing. It got nominated for Best Musical, but it didn't appear in the music category, I mm-hmm. think. I'm a little <laughs> bit surprised that I didn't see more of Onyegin in there. Um yeah, there was for a couple. Yeah, I mean, it's got a couple in there, but it didn't, I think it didn't show up in the um, musical category. Um, which I thought that it was actually the, oh no, it did. Best production of a musical. Of course it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it did have, uh, a pretty incredible music. Um, I also thought that it was great to see, um, outstanding new play, which the award goes to the playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry and the Dog by Colin Doyle. Uh, it was a fantastic late season, um, gem. Uh, Pretty Goblins is also in there. And Blood of Our Soil by Leanna McCook also got in there. Um, 
And so th that's kind of interesting to see, you know, the the um, new plays by Edmonton playwrights. Um, I think Jan O'Connor is also in mm -hmm. the category. Yep, yep. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, one of my favorites to to watch yeah. and see what the what happens with as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Silverero, uh, Miko Uchi. Um, Uchi? I think it's Uchi. Okay, yeah. great. Um, yeah, so yeah. Great. Cool. That's the Sterlings in a nutshell. Yeah. So the the awards happens at the end of June at the Mayfield Dinner Theater. Mm -hmm. Everybody can go and get their prime rib and uh, and 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 vote along. I don't know if we'll go, but maybe we might try. Well, yeah. We'll play our we'll play our own bracket. <laughs> we'll see. Um, um, other huge news shifting gears a little bit mm -hmm. um, in the Edmonton dance scene now. Um, City Ballet has re reformed yeah. and become something sort of completely new with yeah. this announcement last week they're now um they're now being called ballet edmonton right um working in major collaboration with uh, McEwen university mm -hmm. i believe that's for you know like performance and rehearsal space but also um they've uh they're they're going to be using the Mc, uh, the McEwen theater uh program and the technical side to also like provide internships and experience for students there so so that's really interesting mm -hmm. um big kind of step up in the in the um scope of things for for ballet edmonton um the, also they announced their new artistic director yes and in the email when you sent this to me they really buried that low uh yeah. so i kind of missed it the first time around but who is it fonda it's Wenwei Wang. Who is Wenwei Wang? So Wenwei Wang is a choreographer um, based out of Vancouver, at least for um, as long as I've known about him. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he's done some pretty amazing contemporary work. Um, I... I'm struggling to remember some of the names of the shows, sure. uh, but um, Brian Webb has brought him here as part of his right, season yes. a number of times in the last few years. Um, his works are, um, I mean, it's I'm kind of fascinated that City Ballet has picked him up, um, or that he's picked City Ballet, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because as a as a neo a neoclassical company or at least to this point Previously, ha yeah. has worked as a neoclassical company um I'm a little bit surprised because Wenwei Wang, the style, I mean, well, of course, yes, it does have, um, you know, kind of ballet structure and technique at the heart of a lot of what he does in his uh, contemporary choreography. Um, it's all very, um, has always seemed a little bit ex about exploring masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's, um, I think it's kind of a really interesting choice. Now he'll have a small company in Edmonton to work with. I also think that it's kind of interesting that um, no other company um, has really taken Edmonton as part of its name before. Yeah, yeah, Alberta Ballet, which is based in Calgary and is an Alberta-wide ballet, mm -hmm. in that at least it goes between the two major cities. Um, yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is, Fonda? I don't know. I mean, Alberta Ballet, over since they moved their headquarters to Calgary a number mm -hmm. of years ago, has always been... Um, a little bit more of a, a Calgary company. They get bonus performances there. They do a slightly longer runs. Um, and the company just lives there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of, And I don't know why um, a lot of other companies in Edmonton, new companies that have cropped up in the last number of years, haven't taken Edmonton as the name. Like, I mean, you think of, like, Toronto Dance Theatre, which has been around for sure. 50, 40 years. They, they had that big a anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, there, there's a. Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, 
I don't know now if Ballet Edmonton will be that sort of like big regional force mm-hmm. um, that you think a company with the city's name uh, would do. But it seems to me that uh, with a move like this um, to bring in an artistic director like um, like Wenwei Wang, I think is um, that's a pretty big step. Yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to see the work they do. Yeah, um, and wasn't always necessarily like that before. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a bold a bold step, and we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Okay, so um, what did you see while I was away? Paul? Yes, well, you were in New York, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I went and saw uh, the end of the Brian Webb dance season, uh, which was at Usha Gupta's Kaj. Uh, which was uh, is about is the search is what that 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 means uh, okay. and so uh, a beautiful uh, Indian dance show uh, by Usha Gupta who uh, tell us a little bit about Usha Gupta Fonda you know you know that name quite well oh my um, Usha Gupta has been around uh, Edmonton for many years. Um, she- teaches um, traditional Katak style dancing. She has a performance group. She also runs a school. Um, and she's also, I mean, a choreographer um, and and singer in her own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's worked with Brian Webb on um, uh, a few times now. Um, I think this is the second or third time I've seen her as part of his season. Um, and I remember last time that we saw her presenting as part of uh, Brian Webb, Brian Webb season, um, you were fairly impressed by yeah. the style of dancing oh my God. that the, you saw. <laughs> the spins. And they were they were not for lacking of spins in this show either. Yeah. Um, but this was, a, yeah, this was called The Search. And it was a really um, interesting and its focus felt uh, a little like a mix of contemporary and maybe more traditional in this sense. Uh, in that it was sort of structured. There was a full band on stage, sort of an eight uh, person band, including Usha Gupta, uh, who was doing some of the singing. And, uh, and six dancers... Uh, and so it was a very uh, full-bodied piece, uh, I guess. And there would be sort of sequences of movement, and then there would sort of be uh, a musical interlude, I guess, where we would sort of just have the band and the, and the performers would go off and either change or just clear the stage for a time. Uh, and then we moved through about seven different movements in, in the search. Uh, the first one uh, felt maybe the most contemporary in that it sort of started with uh, three people lying on the ground uh, in in darkness. Well, three, uh, two sad, and one was sort of doing these deep uh, bends, almost as if it was a warm-up, which I think in a lot of ways it probably was. <laughs> and then they sort of started working together and working through uh, these movements and these lines, uh, making these beautiful lines with their hands. Uh, yeah, and I think the mood sort of went, uh, felt very uh, apropos of the name, uh, in that it sort of felt like searching. There were these moments... Uh, of, of dancing in groups and dancing alone. And there were some really interesting moments when Usha Gupta would walk on stage and the dancers would uh, sort of from her, her spot with the band and sort of enter uh, as these, almost as if she was looking back on these dancers as different either parts of her life or possible possible moments or just even like looking over the search these performers were, were doing. Mm-hmm. Cool. So from what I know about um, Indian dance or classical Indian dance, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the focus is on um, the meaning of gesture Mm -hmm. and and conveyance through expression of facial expressions as well. So can you talk a little bit about what you saw in in those terms, too? Yeah, absolutely. Gesture was a very uh, big part of it right from the get go, right from that almost that first sort of sequence. uh, Lots of hands, lots of very specific hand movement and uh, even the the flourish of lots of spins. Loved it, Uh, especially as it went on. We got more into spin town, uh, <laughs> as I like to think of it. Um, and uh, as that kept going, 
going, but each one was sort of accented with, uh, with gesture. Uh, you know, after a spin, it would be a, a big sort of defining, we're done now, here's the movement, here's some hands uh, moving along. So yeah, yeah, lots of gesture. And I think in, in this case, like uh, expression uh, came through to, yeah, sort of convey the emotions of this search, whether it was sort of more uh, sort of the romantic sort of uh, a section or, or maybe more of an isolated section. Uh, face was face was part of that, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, there was a lot of uh, beautiful, beautiful movement and spins. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, now let's let's break down the spins. Sure. Got to talk about the spins a little bit. Yeah. Um, from now, you've been watching dance for a number of years now, and okay. this is the second time you've seen Indian dance. Yes. So, how are the spins in this type of dance different than what we see in other Western dance? Uh, I guess it's something to me. What stands out is the feet. I guess uh, the way they step, it's these sort of small uh, uh, flat footed would not be the term, but there's just something about uh, the way there's such a confident um, grounding through the feet, even though the body is sort of whirling. Uh, also, as an aside, there were the, one of the early sequences featured them all putting sort of like uh, bells on their, their legs mm -hmm. and sort of adding this very, uh, auditory element to these spins where you could hear that emphasis of this movement yeah. uh, and not just spins but in all of the movements they were doing you could hear every every step they wanted you to hear was accentuated with these uh mm -hmm. with these bells um but yeah so there's something about just the confidence in that grounding that seems to allow the rest of the body to be more expressive to show more gesture and to spin more <laughs> um, to spin more faster <laughs> spin more faster harder better faster stronger yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. One of the um, years ago, because mm -hmm. when I was when I was in high school, mm -hmm. I did take a workshop with Usha Gupta, and um, a lot of the um, counting I found was um, it was done. It was emphasized through the feet, mm. um, and and like you say, flat footed isn't quite the right term, but it is on flat feet. Mm -hmm. Whereas most um, ballet based forms or Western based forms, everyone's on their toes. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. seem um, there's kind of almost more of a pitching forward of the body. Right. Right. Um, so the moment momentum seems a little bit different whereas this stuff it does yeah it's very grounded and seated um so that you can really see and appreciate the expression of the mm -hmm. upper body I think. yeah absolutely mm -hmm. and i think uh the house wasn't huge but i think even despite that some of the movement and some of the spins and gestures they did got audible reactions from from the crowd yeah yeah i think uh there was like a, a couple like technical quibbles there was a bit of feedback with some of the band but they seemed to figure that out and 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 figure it out because the whole band was on stage the whole time mm -hmm. uh everyone was was doing their thing but yeah it was a it was a beautiful show it was a a, a very beautiful way to end i think that that season great uh, also yeah it was like 80 minutes without an intermission which you know i get for the the narrative of the show <laughs> but it was also a long time to, to not uh, to be watching dance for, because usually dance tends to be a little smaller than, mm -hmm. smaller, uh, shorter in its bursts than theater. Like halves tend to be 30 to 40 minutes rather than theater is sort of like 60 to 70. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and with good reason too. A lot of times, like, I mean, just the company's stamina, like, yeah, you oh, just yeah, kind of, of course, wonder yeah. if, if, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, longer than an hour for a dance show is, yeah, that right. can be, that can be a while. But before we talk about how long I was in a theater for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's get into an ad. 
This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Yes Painting, a new social enterprise in Edmonton that can help you spruce up your house while giving youth a chance to build a better future for themselves. Yes Painting works just like any other contract painting service. The difference is that the work is done by young people who have been involved with youth empowerment and support services, which helps 15 to 21 year olds who are facing difficult realities like homelessness, trauma, addictions, or neglect. Yes Painting teaches business and life skills, pays the workers a living wage and donates half of the profits to youth empowerment and support services. Yes Painting is making the world a better place one paint job at a time. Check it out on social at YESS Painting that's at YESS Painting and sign up for your free quote at YESSPainting.com. Nice. Okay well I you know we've been we've been away. I yeah. Andrew and I were away, but mm-hmm. um, Andrew did get a chance to um, catch up with Trent Wilkie. Yeah, our our illustrious producer of this podcast, who makes the sound quality very good. Uh, yeah, talked about the the Sprouts uh, new play festival. Uh, let's cut to that now. Hi, Trent. Welcome to I Don't Get It. Hey, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, so it's been a little while since you've been on the show. We have to go back to season one when we were still recording in the Blanket Fort. The in... Blanket Fort, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Mount Stinky. Uh, I know. We, we miss her Only lot. when I was there. Only when I was there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so since it's been a while since you've been on the show, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, my name is Trent Wilkie. I'm a writer, uh, journalist, performer in Edmonton, a father of two. Uh, and currently one of the things that I'm writing for on a, a weekly basis is... Uh, a website called the Undad, which is it's an adult parenting website um, written by somebody who never thought they'd ever be a parent. So, right. Well, and I think that's a good segue into the Sprouts Festival, yeah. which is Concrete Theater's uh, production. Uh, they just had their sixteenth annual uh, that's run, that's which amazing. is very cool. Yeah. Uh, and that was taking place on May nineteenth and twentieth at the Westbury Theater mm-hmm. uh, in the Arts Barns. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty of Sprouts itself. Um, I was wondering if you could sort of fill us in a little bit about um, your kids and a little bit about what it's like when you're considering taking them outside of the house. Well, we have that magic ages, because I have two children, um, of three and one. So the one-year-old is a tank. She does what she wants. If she doesn't get her way, you know, the world is going to pay for it. The three-year-old you can sort of talk to a bit, and he gets the concept of performance. He gets the concept of a show and can sit down and and watch it. He'll still get up and run around and try to interact and that type of thing. But when we take that stuff into consideration, it's sort of like when you go into a building that has caught on fire before. You're like, where are the exits? Where are the bathrooms? You know, where do I hide my sword? That type of thing. Uh, So when we go into a situation like a restaurant, those are the things that we we take into consideration. Um, What if something happens like an exploding diaper or a complete and utter tantrum? Like, how do we deal with that and cope with that in a social setting? Uh, With Sprouts, the neat thing for us was that it was theater, which my wife and I love. uh, But it was also a zero to, I think it was zero to 13 was the age range. Zero to, anyway, it was was a perfect age range. It had everything, right? right? Uh, So we went in there sort of feeling like, hey, we there's going to be other kids there screwing around and being weird. And we don't have to worry about our kids doing that because it's just going to be normal. Um, and that was the experience that we sort of had going in there. So we were very relaxed and we got to interact with our children and other children and, and other parents too. So, yeah. Uh, so can you walk us a little bit through, uh, the day you spent there or afternoon? Yeah. Yeah. So we came in and, uh, 
we put uh, we put the three year old down and we let him choose what he wants to do. So he basically just went and tested everything. He went and saw the music uh, playing in the in the side room there, um, and he went to the stations. Then he immediately got in line for a face painting because it's the coolest thing. Uh, my daughter just sort of wandered around and just walked in front of people and stared up at people and said hi, 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 and uh, she was engaged by the room. Whereas my son segments into things, right. um, she just liked the whole atmosphere, the social atmosphere, the cacophony of things. Um, and she does that everywhere, though. You put her down in a supermarket, it's the same thing. You put her down in a you know a, a horse barn, it's the same thing. Um, but my son is getting to know that there's things there for him, specifically, because we tell him what we're going to go and see. And also, he's going to have to sit down and watch some stuff. And if he has a problem with that, let us know and we'll leave the room. Um, cause unlike usual theater, this is, it has a, a mind to know that there are children there that might not want to be in there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we did that. He got his face painted. My son got his face painted, uh, made a lot of little crafts. Um, both of the kids, so the ages are not, don't sound different, but they're very different. The one thing that worked for both of them was the music, um, in the side of the room because the, the, the I forget the, the artist's name, but she was amazing and saw the kids came in and waved to them as she was playing guitar. And it wasn't just like, I'm a performer and this is what you're getting and don't do that. She was very interactive and the kids up and dancing and, and it wasn't that like, you're going to dance now. It wasn't that forced thing. It was just like, she was right, just yeah, very, yeah. it was just very much like she was having a conversation through song and both of my children really enjoyed that my daughter did my son did that and my like she's playing a song that my son knows and he's yelling over here hey daddy it's that song that i love you know and she was having a good time and smiling with that too so that was that was probably the most magical as uh as a family that we had there because we could all experience that love of music and and saw that as a as a very engaging element um because of the like i said because of the age range one and three um we watched the um we watched the, the the theater shows as well. Do you want me to get into those as yeah, well? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I believe they had three on tap. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so maybe just walk us through the first one, which was uh, Screen Time by Jason Chin. Yeah, the first one was about uh, playing video. It was about playtime and screen time, I think is what uh, I remember it as. And that's uh, very pertinent to everybody's lives now, uh, but not so much my one-year-old. So she was watching the people on stage and listening to the noises, but it really wasn't her bag. She got really bored of that fast. But my son really liked it because the people on the stage were active and engaging and making noises and jumping all over the place. Um, But out of the three, that was the one that I would say lost my son the fastest because it was very conceptual uh, and it wasn't as uh, engaging both visually and, um, audially okay yeah. um because it was still had a heady concept of like what a screen time spending time together and there was a lot of conversation in it and for a three-year-old they just tune that sh- stuff they just tune that stuff right out yeah um so some of the other kids though uh in the, in the audience were they a little bit more in the age range that oh perfectly yeah, yeah. so the kids that that was age that was aimed for what i would say was four and above something that they've heard their parents say something they can recognize something that they themselves are being a part of uh, my son who is three still loves his screen time but he still doesn't have that he still has that yes or no i want it or i don't you can't talk to them about why you need to spend you can talk to him about why he needs to spend time with his family but uh, he's in a theater, so he's there to be entertained. He doesn't, he's not, he doesn't see it as a learning thing yet because he hasn't said, he hasn't spent time in any classrooms. So he doesn't know that the theater of education yet. Um, but yeah, definitely for me as a family member, for me as an adult and a parent watching that, I got a lot out of it. 
uh, because it was definitely something that um, I engaged in all the time. Yeah, and you're going to have to have that conversation with your son exactly. eventually uh, about. So, exactly. so until felt- until it just becomes a chip in his head, and I can't take the chip out of his head, I won't have that conversation. But, but yeah, definitely the uh, what is a healthy amount of time. Um, and it, what I liked about it was it's not it was didn't demonize scream time. It didn't demonize it at all, and it just basically said that everybody does it. Mommy does it. You know, even mommy was guilty of it. Uh, and there's a time and place, like like everything. There's a time and place, and it's. Not even, they didn't even use it as a reward per se, but there was definitely that you do your chores, you get that. But there's also that sort of like, it's you special time too, and you don't need a reward for your special time. There's just time to do work and time for your special time too, so. Right. Uh, so you, did you walk away with a little, uh, some tools in your toolbox for when you have uh, to have that combo? Definitely, because it showed that the writer, for me, didn't just, writing kids theater is tough, especially when you're doing something like that. But as a parent, it didn't, get the parent off the hook right right and that was the i don't like my kids watching television shows like paw patrol or whatnot because there's not really any consequences there's no real world world consequences i'm not saying the characters have to die in a show in order for it to be real but like for a parent to be in the wrong as well that was really good because uh they can say daddy you, you know um in this play, the parent was doing that stuff too. So we all do it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. So let's talk about like when, you know what I mean? It gets the conversation going, which is what you want from something like that. Uh, Absolutely. And how is Wolf Runner by Josh A. And I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. I just know it. Uh, But Josh A. uh, Languadoche or Languadoke. Was magical. Uh, My, my daughter, the one-year-old, I'm not even sure if she was there anymore. I think she lost like interest after the first one. Uh, she might have been there for a little bit for the second one, but I was watching my son through this one, and this is the one that really got him. Because when you're dealing with imagery, like First Nations stories do, and that strong use of uh, of of, of um, human animal interaction, kids get metaphor when you talk about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When you talk about like um, heroism and 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 needing certain things and protection of animals and and an animal signifying something like they won't be able to tell you, but they'll get that. Like a wolf is something that's trying to survive, but it also owns where it is. You know, this is its land too. This is where it lives as well. And also just the use of the characters and the flowy movement and, and the, the, the strong, like the tree, my son, there's a tree on the set. My son really engaged with the tree because it's a, th- a thing that he knows and a thing that he sees. Uh, so he really liked that. He really got into it and was just, you know, ensconced in the whole thing. Just like right. it was all, it was all there for him. And I don't want to say it was most like a cartoon because it really wasn't that cartoony because there was still the conversations going on, but he was enthralled in the people talking to them because they weren't this whitewashed, you know, basic thing. They were characters. They were real characters with real worries and real concerns about each other's lives. So everything was like, hi, Jimmy, are you having a good, it was like, we're, you know, we need to worry about this. You need to worry about this. This is important to you and me, you know, and your growth as a human. And even though he doesn't maybe get all the words, he understands the intonation. Right, right. And so he can relate to that. And as a three-year-old, he was just like, ah, he really liked it. And he also, there was a running scene where, well, I think the the young man is running beside the wolf and they're just sort of running in spot. And he's just like, oh, and they were running so fast, daddy, but they weren't moving. So he, he got that, right? He got that concept. And I think that's what really got him. So the story stuck with him a bit more because it was more, it was unique, but it was more um, iconographic. It was more symbol because he, I remember we would drive to um, 
we would drive to uh, Ikea and he'd be sitting in the back and we would drive past the building and he would say, that's Ikea. But he was two. So he didn't read the letters. He just saw the big yellow and stuff like that. So kids have that understanding of, of imagery. Mm-hmm. They can grasp that and they can understand what symbols mean. Um, and Ikea meant meatballs. Right. Uh, so that was his. So when, but when he saw a wolf, he knew that the wolf meant he, the wolf meant out in the woods. It meant um, not in the city. Mm-hmm. It meant special, uh, magical, mystical, um, to be to be looked at, to be a, to be beauty, you know, a special beauty, and he got that because the woman was on she was on all fours and she was like, it was really good. Um, she had a tail, I think she had a tail, yeah, she did. Uh, but the, those little signifiers for my son, and that really worked with him. And the story was something that he can relate to. It's about like just be stronger five minutes longer. Like respect yourself. Have something within you. Trust your gut instinct. Um, not to break the rules, but if you don't understand the rules, then, you know, do what you're good at. Do what you think you can do. And somebody telling you not to do something and somebody warning you about something are two different things because there's two different meanings in there. So I'm not saying he got all that, but he understood it. To a point where he can, he could, he could understand the story and enjoy it. Right, and it was done in the style of uh, like indigenous, exactly, story, yeah, First Nation storyteller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, not really. Like it wasn't done in that hokey, hokey thing. It was just a really good story. It was mm-hmm. not to say that it's done hokey, but it's usually over the top. Sometimes it can be done where it's, uh, it's just taken away taken away from the actual like storytelling folklore that it can be, you know, um, that really makes it strong. And, and the, and the, and the, like I said, the sing- the symbols that are used and he got it and it was just really good because him and he's three and there was, you know, 16 year olds in the audience who were getting yeah. it too. Right. So that's, that's the thing. And I liked it. I, it was my favorite story of the night too, because it was magical. And the last play you saw was Sisters by Holly Lewis. Uh, so what was that one about? Uh, and it was about two sisters, an older one and a younger one. Uh, and this was, <clears throat> this was the more, um, uh, not adult, but it was the more grown up concept. Um, although siblings can understand that they get along, my child, my, my son and my daughter, they, it didn't really mean a lot to him, but he enjoyed watching it because there was like a lot of games that they were playing and running around and push ups and, and a lot of physical activity and they broke something and there was a punch and there's a soccer ball. So that really got him. So that really worked for him, and he watched that one fully too. Um, but I don't think he got the the concept of it. Not that it's, it should be for my three year old son, right. but to say that he didn't enjoy it would be a lie, because he thoroughly enjoyed it. But the second, not like the second one, like the second one is something that he learned and enjoyed. The third one was just something he visually he visually enjoyed. Excellent. So, uh, what would you like to say to? parents uh who are considering uh or looking for for theater uh in edmonton to take their kids to is is sprouts uh oh yeah definitely definitely um if it says zero to 16 that doesn't mean everything is zero to 16 uh you know look at it go and see what you think is going to be good for your one-year-old two-year-old three-year-old four-year-old at the same time there is something going to be there and if you have to get up in the middle of the theater and walk out with your kid you can do that it's not a sacred, you know, tome of art. You can't talk during it or anything like that. It's not like that. It's it's about understanding there's going to be kids there. And that's what I like, too, because it was a safe spot for a kid to be a kid. And although there was moments where like, come on, we got to watch the show, um, it wasn't like a that scorn you get from your from the people on stage when your phone goes off. 
Um, not that that happened, but I just found that, yeah, I would definitely, definitely recommend it because it is, uh, especially if you're a parent that hasn't been to theater before, because oh, right. that's something that you can really uh, introduce your child to theater because it's a safe place to have those experiences like, no, we got to sit down and we got to watch. Let's sit down. We got to watch, you know, we got to use the washroom beforehand, sit down and going to watch. But if they don't get it, you can take them out. And the thing that I liked about the three short skits was like, okay, let's try the second one now. Do you think you can sit through the second one? Let's try that. So that's sort of build up and that's sort of understanding. And if that doesn't work, there's face painting. There's the music, which was awesome. I, she was just magical. She really, she really made it a day for us. Um, and like the snacks were great too. The licorice was, was a great, was a great idea. Um, but yeah, no, if you, if, if you're, if you're, you're savvy to theater or if you're new to theater, uh, or if you want to just introduce your children to theater, it's definitely a great experience. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. The Alberta Podcast Network invites you to celebrate Edmonton's incredible cultural and artistic diversity at Make Music Edmonton on June 21st. Businesses all along 124th Street will be transformed into sidewalk stages that you can enjoy for free from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. The main stage show will be emceed by Chris Chang-Yen Phillips of Let's Find Out and Karen Unland, president of the network. The Kaylee Cardinal Trio and many other great acts will be also be performing. Find out more at makemusic-edmonton.ca. Great. Cool. Thanks, Andrew and Trent, wherever you are. <laughs> so, Fonda, where were you? I, I was in New York for the last 10 days. And what did you see uh, performance-wise in New York? Um, I saw a number of things. I saw the Wooster Group perform cool. a play called A Pink Chair in Place of a Fake Antique. Right, and that, that's the company that is sort of Willem Dafoe's uh, created company? Yeah, yeah. Or... It was it was weird. Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> I also got to see the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, cool. do a bit of a sketch uh, variety show, which was fun. Mm -hmm. um, I I saw the band's visit, which was a beautiful, um, a, a beautiful small musical about an Egyptian band that uh, has to spend an uh, unexpectedly spends an overnight uh, stint in a small Israeli town. Cool. Um, and I also saw Three Tall Women, okay. which was totally freaking incredible um towering performances by these three tall women or three women <laughs> um performance wise absolutely and uh and uh you know with uh glenda jackson of course at the helm uh now in her um 80s and just uh still still killing it right if you could summarize the plot of three tall women in like a sentence what would it be uh three women or, or three actors playing the same woman at different ages um confront their own um i don't know flaws sure, <laughs> confront sure. their confront their own like demons sure. really um it was uh it's an incredible play. It's Edward Albee. Um, it won the Pulitzer uh, back when it was written. And um, also Laurie Metcalf was in the cast. Um, it was, it, you know, I don't know Laurie Metcalf from a lot other than Roseanne. Sure. <laughs> um, but what an incredible performer. Um, to Just the way that she uh, delivered and her presence was just uh, really kind of an... Uh, a, an incredible shocker, really. Mm -hmm. Cool. Great. And yeah. and what was the big thing you saw that you spent a lot of time in a theater for? Oh, the big thing was Angels in America, Paul. Oh, my dear word. <laughs> now, that was, you know, an, uh, eight hours of theater uh, plus 
plus four intermissions for you. Yes, yes. Tony Kushner's uh, uh, Angels in America is a two-part play, mm -hmm. and each part is almost four hours long. Um, I saw it all. I saw both parts in one day. Right, and and you haven't seen Angels in America in any other capacity. I have not. I have read the play before, okay. and I actually I never watched the miniseries. I just like yeah. I seeing it live um, was something that I've wanted to do as a theater person for um, a long time. <laughs> Great. So it's a very long play. We can't get too much into it, but in like a minute, how talk about what that was, what you saw, what stood out. A minute. Oh Jesus. I'm gonna um, time it. Oh, God. Okay, here. Um, so uh, the subtitle of the play is called A Gay Fantasia on National Themes. Right. And I think that that's a very good way to describe it as a, a fantasia. Like, it is this huge symphony of a journey that happens with a character named Prior Walter. Um, there are... Uh, so Pryor Walter is a former drag queen played by Andrew Garfield in this production. Brilliant, brilliant freaking performance. I was so surprised by Spider-Man. You have no idea. 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> uh, so he essentially, um, he finds out that he has AIDS. Um, he and is visited by an angel, uh, becomes a sort of like weird version of a prophet. One of the best lines in the play. Um, he confronts a former lover in a park and there, and, uh, the lover is kind of like going on and on about, you know, America and shit. And he's like, seconds. fuck you. I'm a prophet. Amazing. <laughs> and, um, and of course, like in the best screechy former drag queen voice that he can do, um, but three seconds, two seconds, it's going to win all the Tonys. It okay. really is. Right. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, that was totally unfair. One minute for eight hours of... <laughs> yeah, but otherwise we would have a whole other podcast dedicated to it's, it. It's true. Yeah, maybe one day we'll do a bonus podcast. <laughs> where, 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 yeah. Like, I could, I mean, I could do an entire season of I Don't Get It talking about um, the stagecraft and the magic in that show. Um, and it was just a beautiful production. Cool. Well, okay. looking ahead... We're at the tail end of the Edmonton theater season, but uh, what's coming up, Fonda? What's uh, what's still on the radar? So Teatro La Quindicina is still running The Finest of Strangers at the Varscona Theater until June 16th. Right. Uh, Free Will Shakespeare Festival is about to kick off for its season, where it is doing a Hamlet and a Comedy of Errors at Horlack Park from June 19th to June 15th. To July 15th. Uh, you're right. It does not go back in time. <laughs> Uh, June 19th to July 15th. Yeah, and uh, Rapid Fire Theater's Improvaganza, Festival of International Improv, Sketch, all sorts of like comedy mm -hmm. fun things, runs June 13th to 23rd at the Citadel Theater. Right, full disclosure, I am in that company. Yeah, so can you tell us some things that are happening at Improvaganza? Uh, you know, without <laughs> bias, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, Showstoppers is a uh, an improvised musical that won an Olivier and had a run on London's West End. Think about that. Just Great. Think about that. Great. Also, Colin Mockery and Greg Proops from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, I hear their show is sold out, but also know that Colin Mockery's doing a thing about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, he's, just go look yeah, it he's up. In, he's in the Dungeons and Dragons show that's also happening. Yeah. Right. All right, cool. Um, so uh, there still is some stuff running. Go see yeah. it. Bye. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. 
I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Sit here thinking, I love.